welcome to episode 7 of Comic Book Obscura. Today I'm talking about Gen 13 from Image Comics. Uh, in particular, their Wildstorm universe, which, much like Gen 13, no longer exists. I think, I'm pretty sure Gen 13 spawned from artist Jim Lee. Uh, though there were other artists that worked on the comic, such as J. Scott Campbell, who did Danger Girl and a couple other, and like he did other books, but like that's the one I I know him mainly from. Adam Warren also took a shot at Gen Thirteen, and during its peak of popularity, the characters had crossovers with the likes of Superman, Spider Man, The Max, whom I might do an episode on. You might remember The Max uh, if you're old enough from a MTV cartoon uh, back in the 90s. He started as a comic book character, but uh, MTV scooped him up and did a short animated series. They've also, but the basic setup for Gen 13 is pretty simple. By today's standards, it's probably like nothing you haven't heard before. A group of teens are invited to take part in a government project, but it's really a prison slash experiment center to see if the kids are gen active, which is uh, the Wildstorm universe's version of being a mutant and calling someone gifted or metahumans. It's superpowers. The main characters escape, team up to survive on the run and try to discover the truth behind the company that's doing the experiments and their parents. So it's not... It's not that, it, like on paper, simplest terms, you know, it's, sounds like a, it sounds like a couple of movies that have come out even recently, like mostly those young adult movies. So the characters uh, for Gen 13, who are they? So there's Caitlin Fairchild. Uh, her Gen active ability caused her muscles to increase in density, giving her super strength, endurance, speed, normal looking girl to... Wonder Woman physique, I guess is probably closer than the Hulk. Because she, she doesn't get that big, but she does get significantly uh, bigger and more muscular. Before her powers manifested, she was an ordinary, naive, sheltered bookworm. Yet, before she had her powers, she was drawn with a supermodel face and body. So, it's basically... Uh, so, she's... Um, so, in the comics, she's like... I guess if you have you seen if you've seen the movie She's All That, it's a similar situation where this girl who's kind of like who's super smart, I guess nerdy and introverted. She has like short cropped red hair, glasses, dresses like a librarian, but even then you could tell she was attractive. Like they drew her with a slim supermodel body and even with the librarian clothes, they were on like they were drawn on her kind of tight so it's like you're not unattractive and there's no way you don't know that and it's really weird that that was the kind of uh setup for her character where she's like I, I get her being naive but then for her to <laughs> be like it's like you you could easily it's, it's just like that movie she's all that it's like um Rachel Lee Cook was clearly attractive, but they tried like everything. They were like, let's give her messy hair and just grungy clothes. And it's like, no, she's still attractive because it's Rachel Lee Cook. It's like you you would have to dump on like a ton of just like pimples and like give her like glue on a fake crooked nose or something to make her seem like she was just unappealing to the eyes. Like it's just it was so ridiculous. And that's that was just, I guess, the style of Jim Lee. Uh, but it's like, you kind of tried a little bit harder. At least draw the clothes to be kind of baggy so they don't cling to her, you know, slim, curvy figure, at least. You know, just to cover... You know, make her look like she's... Make her look like a librarian, not like a fantasy, sexy librarian. I just found that funny. It just seemed kind of ridiculous. It's like, hmm... I don't see you getting, even with that outfit, it's just like, I don't see you being ignored by that many guys. Like, I don't, I don't buy that you haven't, you've never been on a date with someone before. Like, it's just, it's, it's a tough sell. So, uh, moving on to the next guy. Uh, so there's also Bobby Lane, who I guess, like, 
he feels like just like the design of the character. I know the powers are different, but the design of the character reminded me of Iceman from X-Men, but with fire. And it's another odd thing about that. I say that because both of their, like Iceman's first name is Bobby and this guy's name is Bobby. I can't help but feel that when this character was created, someone was thinking Iceman, but they're like, let's make him fire. Let's give him fire powers instead of ice powers. So his code name is Burnout. Oh, I should mention that, uh, Caitlin Fairchild, they usually just call her Fairchild by her last name. Like she doesn't actually have a code name, which is weird, but fine, I guess. Like it's none of these guys wear masks. So it's not, they're that kind of team. They're like uh, how in, Mar in the Marvel MCU, like just about all the superheroes except for Spider-Man have a, don't have a secret identity. I think Ant-Man technically has a secret identity, but no one's really trying to find out who Ant-Man is like the government knows but you know general people are like who's Ant-Man I guess after the more recent movie Ant-Man the Wasp maybe more people know about him now but even then it's just like well you know there's he unlike Spider-Man who's constantly in the newspaper and people are like who is Spider-Man or J. Jonah Jameson calling him a menace and stuff like people want to know who he is but with Ant-Man it's like yeah who cares uh so back to Bobby Lane so his code name is Burnout uh, his powers allow him to generate and manipulate high-energy, coherent plasma, which ignites on exposure to oxygen. So, I guess the more accurate... I guess he's like a mix of Iceman and the Human Torch, who, I guess, even... <laughs> I guess when you compare those two, it's like, they're all the same character, pretty much. At least they feel like it. Um, next, we got Roxanne Spaulding. Uh, they either call it, they usually call it Roxy for short, but, uh, they, she does have a code name, uh, Freefall. Uh, she's the youngest on the team, but I don't really know how old any of them are. Like, they're constantly referred to as teens, so I'm, or, or at least in college, I think, uh, two of them at least are, were actively attending college prior to the whole, you know, superhero origin story kickoff. So, I'm guessing... 1820 so Roxy would probably be 17 maybe 18 like just 18 but the youngest like everyone else is about to turn 19 or they're already 19 or 20 uh let's see so her powers uh control gravity she can either nullify gravity uh around herself or others or increase it making things like uh super heavy she can use her powers when she nullifies gravity around herself or others it basically like you know changes it doesn't change the earth's gravity it's more like uh i guess you would picture it as a bubble around herself and others of gravity where she can just make them lighter so they can float or heavier so they fall faster and can crush objects it's that kind of thing so she can't or maybe she can affect like a wider range i'm not sure uh it's implied because I say that because it's, it's it gets implied later uh, through the, during the course of the series that if she uh, practiced or attempted it, uh, she could actually she could possibly manipulate space time as it relates to gravity. So who knows? I or actually I think because it, it, this is there's there's a time travel situation like at the end of the series that I think might have been a result of her using her powers. I'm not sure. It's not very specific. So Roxy appears to be jealous of Fairchild's physique, even though, again, it's weird because they're both drawn to be super sexy women. Like, it's it's really hard to believe, like, even, even in, like, DC and Marvel universes, superhero women, and even the the normal uh people because like uh peter parker's date like gwen stacy and, and mary jane's like no one's unattractive like no one in the main cast like secondary characters or other superheroes are drawn unattractively and it's weird that in this book it's the same situation but they kind of draw attention to it where it's like Here's these two women drawn to be super attractive, like they're slim-waisted, busty, and it's just like they're one of them is jealous of the other, and it's like you're 
you're both attractive. Like, what are you... There's there's no way in real life either of these two characters, Fair, Fairchild and uh, and Roxy, would not get dates. And it's it just seems silly to me. I know this is comic books and it's silly, but like just taking it taking a step back and and just giving it real world context, it just seems like and I guess that makes sense because a lot you know, there were all the, the writers for this were were guys, so it's like this I guess this is what they assumed <laughs> girls are like. And I guess, it, I mean, it. it's possible, it's true that, like, you know, one attractive woman can be jealous of another attractive woman, but it just feels like, uh, it just seems, in comic book setting, it seems ridiculous. I mean, especially since these characters are created from someone's mind, it's like, well, why not draw one to be, I mean, not necessarily ugly, but, like, just not as attractive? It just seems... It seems creatively, like, from a visual standpoint, it's like, you could have done something to be, like, to make it seem like, okay, well, that's probably... Or give him, give him some kind of flaw where it's like, okay, I understand why this character would be jealous of the other one. But otherwise, it's just, like, it, it you just don't buy it. And I guess it doesn't matter, because, I mean, back in the 90s, no one was buying this book for the uh, the, the character drama. It was, like... All the all the women were like basically Playboy models in costumes, and I guess in even I guess even more recently that's kind of you know just though that's that's changed a lot more now. There's a lot more diversity in comics, but back in the '90s, yeah, it was they knew they knew who they were selling to, and I guess sometimes like genuine good writing would slip in. But for the most part, things like that are just that's, that feels like a tough sell, given uh, the artwork, and it's just kind of hard to buy. It felt like it feels like a CW drama, like they're just they're just putting they're just making like meatless drama to make the characters seem like there's more to them than just you know they're attractive young superheroes. And and that's it. That's kind of all it was. I mean, there's some interesting story elements that I'll get to that that can make it bet that you can build off of to make it more than that. But for the most part, that feels like the the general the general idea of it in a nutshell. So moving on to the next character, uh, Percival Edmund Chang, which I know sounds makes him like uh, you hear that name, and I feel like a certain image comes to mind. But I think his nickname is a bit more fitting for what the character actually looks like. Uh, his nickname is Grunge. Uh, able to mimic the molecular structure of any material he touches. And he can partially bestow those effects onto others. So if he picks up uh, like a brick, he can take on that pop property. Uh, so basically he's a version of the Molecule Man from... I mean, not the Molecule Man, uh, Absorbing Man from Marvel. Crusher Creel. So basically, anything he touches, he can take on that property. So if he picks up a piece of steel, his body can become like steel, and he can touch someone else and give them that property, or at least partially give it to him. So, like, maybe just like he can make their hand turn to steel. I don't know if he has to constantly be touching them to do that, or if he can just like pass it on temporarily, but that's what his powers are. He's a kind of a, he's a stocky, buff surfer type. So he's like short and wide but muscular uh has a chest tattoo i think he has other tattoos i don't remember covered in hair like has, think uh like kind of a, a a mix between he's a and i guess he's a little bit shorter than wolverine because wolverine usually stands upright he doesn't hunch this guy looks squattier than wolverine but bulkier so i'm not really sure if i can i don't really know if i have a a compare a comic another comic comparison so personality wise think michelangelo from ninja turtles except hornier i guess uh he has a brown belt and five martial arts which seems unique usually when they're handing out uh talents to superheroes it's usually like oh they're a, they're a black belt or they're a master of like five or six different martial arts this guy stopped at brown belt which 
okay, I, I kind of, although it seems weird that he stopped at brown belt for five different disciplines, like, I'd, I'd almost see him being like, well, he's a brown belt in this, and a purple belt in this, but I guess, you know, like, why, it seems odd that he picked, he didn't, like, a brown belt in two, and a black belt in three, or something like that, but, like, a brown belt in all, that just seems like you didn't want him to be a complete master, so you just went a belt down, and then gave it to him for five different fighting styles, but, you know, still, I guess, there's still points for doing something different. Uh, he has a photographic memory that allows him to take uh, the same advanced classes in college that Fairchild does, and for some reason, I couldn't even begin to explain uh, Roxy Freefall has a crush on him, though they clearly created... Though, see, that's a weird... Okay, that's another weird creator thing. So, the character Roxy has a crush on Grunge, but if you look up a picture of these two characters, they look like they were created to be a couple from the get-go anyway. Like they look like a they look like they would go together. So it's not that surprising and it's kind of weird. Not necessarily in a negative way. It just seems like why not make them, you know, I mean, they are different, I suppose, but it's just like it'd be more interesting if they didn't look like they would naturally go together. Like if you look up a picture of these two characters, they look like they look like a couple you you would see on the street. Like if they were together, it wouldn't be surprising. And so it's like, well, okay, I guess it's like if she has a crush on them, it's like, well, who really cares? It's like it seems like they were already it seemed like they would have already been dating before they met like before this story started, or at the start of the, you know, issue one, it seemed like they would have already been dating anyway. Um, so moving on. Moving on. Uh, Sarah Rainmaker. I guess her... She's kind of, like, uh, similar to Fairchild. They kind of go by her last name, which already sounds like a superhero name, but that's her actual last name. And she's kind of like the storm of the team. Powers and personality, kind of. Um, she can she can manipulate air currents uh, enough to let her fly. Uh, she can direct water and has uh, amplifiers on her wrist to help her project lightning. So pretty much Storm, except she can't create, well, actually controlling air currents. So she might be able to create blizzards or snow. So it's it's kind of like either either she's a replica of Storm or she's a lower grade Storm. But either way, the, the similarities are pretty obvious. She's an Apache, so I guess there's your diversity. I guess they were like, well... Everybody sticks on at least one black character to the team for diversity's sake, but we're gonna do you one better and do Native American. And we'll double down, and not only is she Native American, but she's bisexual. Uh, later they switch her to just being a, a lesbian. But either way, it's just like, they're like double downing on uh, their diversity on that one. They're like, look, so mostly, they're like, it's a mostly white cast, but, so we don't have to have two separate characters, one ethnicity, and one of uh, different sexual orientation than the others. We'll just come, we'll just crunch that into one character and get it in one shot. Which isn't, a, that's not, I'm not really saying that as a negative. That's not, you know, that's, that's, I'm not trying, I'm I'm laughing at it because it, it feels funny to me, but I mean, it's, it was, a, it feels like a rare thing. Like there's only, especially back then in the nineties. Now there's a lot more, like I said, there's a lot more diversity in comics now, as far as, um, representation of peoples. But for the nineties, I guess that was more of a big deal. Although again, now this is kind of the negative part. It's like good on them for creating that kind of character at a time when that was rare but it also seems like if you read the comic especially it seems kind of clear that the the real intention was just for you know the sex sake you know sex sells and they're like hey let's let's put a bisexual character in there so there's more sexual tension and and chances for girl and girl stuff to go on i gave them a full point for diversity, but I'm gonna have to retract half of that point because it seems like they only did it 
because they're perverts. But, I mean, they're not the first or the only ones to ever do this, but, you know, it's like, well, you could have done it and made something good from, you know, you could have, I mean, not that the character's bad, it just feels like they could have, like, Rainmaker could have been more than just, you know, a lesbian character, which it feels like that's that's kind of the only reason that they made her. Next is John Lynch, the team mentor slash their Professor X. And again, I mean that almost literally. Uh, he has telepathic and telekinetic powers, but he looks like a young Clint Eastwood. So they were like, let's give them a Professor X, but let's make him look badass. <laughs> and that's, I mean, fair enough. That's you know, that's fair. He gouged out one of his eyes due to a psychic attack from an enemy. And his powers are, unst are, are strong but unstable. So he refrains, he refrains from using them whenever possible. And he's not crippled. So he can walk, he can, he can run and jump. Uh, and he, he knows how to use a gun. He can fight. So, you know, slightly more diverse than Professor X. I don't think his powers are as powerful as Professor X. Like, I don't think he can affect people on a global scale the way Professor X potentially could. But still, you know, not bad. Um, and getting a little ahead of myself here, that wasn't a bad choice, making him look like Clint Eastwood, because that actually would be pretty cool. I don't think he would ever do a movie like this. And and I'll get into, uh, once once I get to the <laughs> Buddha reboot section, I'll save it for that. But like, if he did do it, I feel like, one, not only would he pr pretty much carry the whole film, but I think his kind of attitude would really, like, it would carry the film, but also help set the tone where it's like, he's just like the straight man to all this comic book weirdness and goofiness, and he just has no tolerance. It almost seems like he would, even though he's like the team leader, it would seem like he would have no tolerance for it. Like, all these young kids are like, oh, we're superheroes, and we're shooting lasers, and and it's like, oh, and we want to have sex with each other. I feel like he would be, like, such, like, and I think that was the intention. Like, this character is supposed to be, like, the, the, the mentor, the dad, the father figure, and I think, man, would he just put his foot down on all those shenanigans, and I think it would make for, like, some good, just comedic moments, and really uh, drive home just, like, how, like, not, not quite parody, uh, superhero stuff, but just kind of, I think he would strike a good con, I think Clint Eastwood, as this character, would help strike a good contrast between the, the goofiness of it, and the seriousness of it. Um, lastly, there's Anna, who is a, a genoid, G-Y-N-O-I-D, uh, or fembot, basically. Apparently, there's other genoids that are male, but they're called something else. I don't know why there's a race of male, you know, there's a race of robots so with basic male and female counterparts, but there are in this, apparently. So, Anna acts as the team's maid, and she's programmed to care for them like a mother, and is heavily armed enough to protect them as well. Hmm. Seems like it <laughs> seems unnecessary. I mean, like when you when you look at their powers. I mean, granted, they're they're new at this, but with Lynch around, it seems like. Well, I guess you can never be too safe, but it's like, come on, it's comic books. Robots get hacked all the time. It seems like you're you're just put that in there. So there's like a. So you constantly have a way in for bad guys to kind of get the drop on them. It's like, Anna, what are you doing? You're attacking us? Oh, no. Now bad guys are in the base. You know, it seems like that kind of situation, which is fine. I guess, you know, no one really complained about Rosie from the Jetsons. I mean, I don't think Rosie from the Jetsons ever got, like, hacked and tried to kill the family. But, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if that did happen? So, eh, you know, eh, fine. It's whatever. So that's the basic team. That's like that's the main team. I think uh there was the uh, the the initial launch, I believe ran for 20 issues and then there was a relaunch later where they changed the like the I think the name of the universe switched from like it was from Wildstorm to Worldstorm and so the characters got relaunched with kind of a different origin. So, you know, not a bad 
grab bag of powers. Uh, no one on the team seems like they're like so overpowered where it's like they're the Superman of the team. Because even with Fairchild's, you know, super dense muscles and everything, like she can't fly. She can't shoot lasers from her eyes. You know, she's got, she's just super strong. And that's basically it. So with uh, Freefall's character, Roxy, she could potentially be overpowered, but I think she's got some confidence issues. And even if she got over that, it's like, well, manipulating gravity to affect space-time, that seems like that would take a lot of practice and a lot of effort. So I think I think she's limited enough where it's like, okay, your, your powers are cool and impressive, but there's a low potential that you would ever, she would ever master them to the point where she could, like, rip a hole in reality or something like that. Burnout's pretty basic. He's fire guy. Uh, Grunge's powers are simple but diverse enough where it's like, depending on how you can use them, you could pull off some pretty cool stuff. Lynch, pretty standard too. Uh, Psychic powers. So let's get to the boot or reboot section because I want to talk about the potential these characters have for bring, being brought back in uh, different media. Like I said, there there's two continuities to, to draw from, and I think the original canon is probably the, the most straightforward. And then there's the the wild the world storm canon, which is uh the, where the, the series got relaunched and started and kind of kicked off a, a new continuity. So let's talk about the original. And then this is, so this is a more detailed rundown of what the basic story is. So an organization called International Operations or IO starts a government internship, which is fake, for uh, gifted youth. It's just a cover to get kids with potential superpowers into their secret facility. Fairchild is the point of view character at the start of this. So, you know, we're, we're introduced to her and then you know, we see what happens with her up until the point where she meets the rest of the team and then, you know, things go from there. But she's chosen and then when she, it turns out that IO is a lot, you know, their facility is a lie and this internship is, is fake and they're just doing tests on kids and stuff to see if they have superpowers. Uh, her powers, man, Fairchild's powers manifest due to the stress of one of the experiments they're doing on her and she she busts out, tries to escape, she runs into the others, Roxy, Grunge, and Burnout, and they they team up to escape. And during the confusion, and later they get joined by Rainmaker and Threshold, who has psychic powers, who actually runs the facility and poses as an escapee and joins the team and convinces them to go back to the facility under the premise of helping others escape who were still locked up in there. And then, of course, they get back there. They decide, yeah, we should help. Uh, the other people trapped in there to escape. And of course, when they return, they're recaptured for experiments. But this time, John Lynch shows up and helps them escape. And they head to La Jolla, California, and officially start calling themselves Gen 13, as they are the 13th generation of Americans, and their parents were part of a project called Gen 12. Spend the series investigating their parents as they are all either in been under foster care. So they, they want to know who their real parents are and what their connection is to IO. They eventually find out that they're like all of their parents were part of a, a superhero team called Team Seven. That was the ori- that's the original continuity. Pretty basic. I think with that concept, there's good storytelling to be had in there. I mean like with most concepts, it, it just depends on how you tell it. There could be a good story in just about anything. But I think if I was going to if I was going to relaunch this, I would kind of stick to that one. Um, so next, I'll talk about the World Storm Cannon. So the original cannon wraps up with the team being blown up by a six megaton bomb. Seems excessive, but you know, I guess bad guys in the '90s either you know go big or go home. And Fairchild is the only survivor. Everyone else is like completely blown up blown to bits she then starts like uh the the story skips ahead uh a couple years and she started a new team and she's taken on the mentor role and it's revealed that this takes place in an alternate reality with the explosion being the divergent point because like i said there's there's time travel involved in this so through time travel 
the original team is saved and that's that's how the original canon wraps up so the world storm canon starts in 2006 or 2006 is when the original canon wrapped up and then they started the world storm canon and so with this in gen 13 this time around it's revealed that the parents of the team were assigned to them to monitor them and encourage uh, specific traits to arise as they grew up all over the country. It's revealed during the new during this series that this version of the team were manipulated from birth by Tabula Rasa, a biogenetic subdivision of IO. And this is where it gets really weird. The souls of the previous incarnation of Gen 13 have settled into the new versions and when they get together, they cause people around them to forget their history, even if they've known them all their lives. And this is why I kind of want to stay away from the World Storm canon. It seems like they revamped things only to make it more ridiculous, more confusing, and more convoluted. It just seems it just seems very unnecessary. The whole oh, they're souls from. The previous canon drifted into this one. It's just like, what? Why Why can't they just be the same characters, but, like, have different beginnings? Like, it just, that whole thing seems really unnecessary. The addition of them having been basically experiments from birth kind of works. I mean, that, you know, we that's the kind of thing you've seen in movies before, where it's like, I guess you could look at the Truman Show, sort of. But, yeah, it's just... Uh, I mean, it's fine. It it works. It's comic, whatever. But as far as relaunching goes, I wouldn't. I I kind of wouldn't go with this one. You can borrow. You can borrow elements from it, like the fact that the parents were working from working for evil corporation. From the foster parents were working for the evil corporation. That can work. You can throw that in there. But everything else, I would kind of just. Uh, I would kind of leave out. Uh, yeah, because, like, the World Storm version only exists due to the previous version. So, I think it... I think you would do the World Storm version if you wanted to do, like, a crappy young adult series of movies. Which, I know, like, I'm not saying I want that or anyone should want to do that. But that's where I... That's kind of where I see... It, that's kind of what I see it as. Where it's just, like, it. it feels like it's got the kind of setup that lends itself to just over-the-top melodramatic team crap and it just seems so convoluted where it feels like your viewers are just going to get lost in the, in the all the contrivances and just plot devices it just seems like what is going on or why did why did this why did the evil corporation do this when they could have done that and it just sounds like every young adult movie that's been based on a book that's come out in like the past 10 years like just you know ugh. I mean if that's and then that's the thing if if that's your jam that's fine hey this this could work for you but under the guise of making something uh good <laughs> I'm gonna not talk about the world storm version and stick to the original continuity as far as uh the the basis for a relaunch goes so I think the original run fits it works a lot better for a live action and it's got familiar elements and tropes but i think in that sense it can be used for toward for its advantage i mentioned the movie she's all that earlier and i think a movie version of gen 13 could be kind of like a a superhero homage to movies of that genre or you could give you could use Gen thirteen as like the superhero version of movies like She's All That or uh and that that's if you're you're doing this as a one shot movie, kinda like a hey, we're just throwing this out there kind of thing. I think to kind of as far as movies go, to kind of bring it into the now, you could cause th this comic came out in the nineties, so I think you could kind of give the characters a millennial update and it can still work. Uh, as a series of movies, I think uh, a trilogy would probably be best. I wouldn't go farther beyond that. Mainly because, like I said, the series, I think, only ran for like 20-some-odd issues. And there's not a whole lot of old material to draw from. I mean, of course, you could you could start there and then make up the new stuff, which I think is also a benefit for the series. But I think with 
superhero movies maybe a trilogy is kind of all you want and then you can kind of start over and do something different or or I guess if you have a established universe like the MCU, then you start doing crossovers instead of uh, solo movies. But since I guess the Wildstorm universe doesn't really exist anymore, and I don't know all their characters, this would kind of be the the, the jumping off. So I would say maybe do like a do Gen Thir- do a trilogy of Gen thirteen movies, and or do always do one and if it's good do another one and if that's good do another one but don't go past three and if you do it if you get to the third one and that one also does well if not better than the last one then I think that's when you start expanding this universe and bringing in the other uh wild storm characters and and making it a bigger thing and having team-ups and stuff like introduce the next line of movies but have it connect to the the Gen 13 trilogy of movies. And as the third movie in this trilogy, I think it should wrap up the way the the comic did. So I think at the end of it, you should have that six megaton bomb or something a bit more practical. But, you know, I think uh, you should have it where the team is, you know, exploded or killed, except for Fairchild. And then you do kind of that uh, that jump ahead to the future where she's started a new team. And she's like, I guess you could do that whole... I mean, it's kind of cliche, but you could do that whole thing where it's like, you know, do that jump ahead in the future. And she's like telling the story of how, you know, what happened with her and the original team to a, a new group of, of kids. And I think... The cool thing you could do there is when you start the next run of movies, you can go back to that point because it's a good you can set up you can set up as, hey, there's kind of like an alternate reality now. And you could do the whole you can start the next jump of movies at that divergent point and do whatever it is, like whatever time travel thing happened where the team gets saved and either so you could do one of two things you could go back to you could you could have the next run of movies take place like after that explosion and have uh like let's say you bring in wildcats they can start off because they're picking up where gen 13 left off it's like well they're dead but there needs to be another superhero team so Wildcats get started. Or you can always go back to that explosion, which is, I guess, a divergent point of timelines, and do whatever time travel thing happened, and the team is saved, and then you can do your new line of Gen 13 movies from there. And if the you if you've replaced actors or whatever changes you've made can be a result of that, and you can just be like, it's a new universe. You know, this is a this is where the universe has diverged uh, timelines. One thing you could definitely do is, like I mentioned, all the similarities between them and the X-Men, which are glaringly obvious. Um, somewhere uh, somewhere towards the end of the movie, uh, it could be the first one. Yeah, def- it would definitely be the first one because, I mean, people are going to start drawing uh, comparisons, like, from day one. Um, maybe throw in some kind of X-Men reference I guess when they name the team, they're like, what do we call ourselves? Like, Gen 13? And it's like, where are we? And it's like, why don't we just call ourselves Generation X? It's like, no, that's lame. We're like, what year do you think it is? Have a comment, like, some some kind of comment like that. It just feels like if you're not, it, it, it's a comic book universe, but it feels like if you're going to take it to live action, there kind of has to be that moment where the characters have, like, that self-realization of how goofy that notion is and in, in, in a real world context so I think and then with them being so similar I think to kind of poke take a moment to to poke fun at it and be like hey we we realize how similar it is and you know how goofy it is so you know ha ha, ha. so uh, if you don't want to do uh like a series of movies like I said a trilogy is probably the most you want to do before you take a break and either uh keep it going like do do a trilogy if you can, and then if if the trilogy wraps up and it's all good, start bringing in other characters, or you come back and kind of revamp it and do like another series of movies. If that that's kind of up in the air. Like I said, it just seems like there's not enough material, and you know sometimes just one movie or just a trilogy is enough. Sometimes you don't really have to you know 
keep it going forever. Because, I mean, even Superman and Batman took a, a break, you know, in between some of their movies. You know, you had the, the Burton movies, then a break, and then you had the Schumacher movies, then a break, and then you had the Nolan movies, which were great, and then, you know, they didn't take a break, and you saw where that led. Um, but that's <laughs> that's a whole nother discussion. So there's always TV. Pro you could probably take this concept and stick it on the CW. I mean, there's so much, like, if you look at the original comic, it seems like there's so much stuff put in there just to be, uh, just to cause forced drama and tension that it, it already sounds like a CW show. Because, I mean, like, even the their version of The Flash is good, but a lot of the time there's so much moments where it's just characters, like, having secret meetings with each other talking about their feelings which which is fine i mean like it's it's something that happens but i mean people do talk about their feelings from time to time but it seems like that's mainly what the show is with sprinkles of superhero action like in between that instead of it being a superhero show with some drama sprinkled in it's more like a drama show with superhero stuff sprinkled in so if you if you want to go that route i'm not saying that's a good idea or necessarily a bad idea or it's it, it's something i'm rooting for but it's just like hey if you're gonna if you're looking for ways to relaunch it that's something you can put on the table i guess another comparison i guess is that because uh looking at you know when i was looking at the the character descriptions and kind of the the running plot of the series it also kind of seems similar to another marvel series the Runaways, which also has a live-action series on Hulu. Now, I think at some point Gen in Gen 13, they kind of established a base, but you could play it where it's like they're constantly on the run, trying to find, uh, you know, where they have, uh, they kind of help people along the way. Uh, they're constantly trying to escape, learn their powers, and then it leads up to a final confrontation where they kind of take the fight back to the IO organization or whatever they're called. And I think uh, maybe like a 8 to 13 episode kind of series. You could pull that off, each episode being an hour. And I think it could be a good little mini miniseries. Uh, plenty of room for character development. Well, okay, maybe 13 because there's like five, six characters in this. And if you put it on either Hulu or Netflix, it would let you be able to get kind of that close to movie quality special effects and budget but you know it's basically chopped into episodes and I guess that would make a good testing ground to whether you brought in either other Wildstorm characters or did like a movie franchise or something and going back to movies I forgot about this one uh there's also a kind of breakfast club vibe going on with it with uh, their mentor, John Lynch, kind of being like the principal. I don't know if I would play that up too hard. I mean, you could do an episode that kind of has a feeling like that. And, and that's kind of it. You could Each episode can be like a kind of homage to like some teen movie. Because I think with this group of heroes, you could kind of play each one like a like a, a teen movie stereotype. I mean, I wouldn't do that through the whole series. Like these these characters need to have like distinct personalities and problems and, and preferences and and you know they, they need to feel like fully fleshed out people but I mean like depending on how long a, a series you want to do you could have episodes that kind of take a moment to stop and and do little fun things like that it could also be a way to kind of deconstruct the X-Men concept I mean if you update Gen 13 to where these kids are uh, millennials. So they they get these powers and they're like shocked and scared for a minute, but then they quickly embrace it. And, you know, they, they have superpowers, they're young and attractive, and they basically have license to do whatever they want. Because in this universe, there aren't like, it's not like the Marvel universe that's like crawling with superheroes. This is basically a brand new universe. So it's like, man, we're young, we're attractive, we have superpowers. We can basically rule the world if we so chose. And the idea is you have uh, John Lynch, who, if played by Clint Eastwood, would be excellent, who's just like, no, you kids need to sit your asses down, and we gotta we gotta stop this evil corporation, we have to save the world. Like, no, no, we get, get, get it together. Um, and I think it, it'd be a way to kind of take it, it to deconstruct the the concept of the x-men or to 
twist it in kind of a new way. Because if you go back, if you look at the X-Men and compared to uh, Gen 13, Gen 13 already kind of feels like it's making fun of the X-Men. Because, I mean, most of the X-Men can eat, like, you know, in, in, the X -Men, in the Marvel Universe, as far as the X-Men go, mutants are hated. But most of the X-Men look human. Most of their mutations don't disfigure them in a way where they can't blend into regular society. And the only way you'd ever know they were mutants is if they, if you had like some kind of like bio scanner that could scan for the X gene. Other than that, they look human and they should have really no problem blending into society. I know the point is that they shouldn't have to blend, but I mean like, you know, as a mutant, I get that you want to be proud of who you are, but like, do you really need to just go around? Like that seems kind of pretentious to be like, Hey, I'm a mutant. You need to respect that. It's like, oh, okay, man, that's fine. I don't have problems with mutants. It's like, okay, but you need to know that I was a mutant because I need to know if you had a problem with me being a mutant. It's like, dude, calm down. And I feel like that's the kind of situation you're getting into. It's like with the like, with most of the X-Men, it's like, who really cares? It's like, and, and the thing is, like in the Marvel Universe, there are tons of mutants who are disfigured by their powers. And it's like, you know, I could see them having you know, issues as far as, like, blending in with society and humans being like, oh, no, it's a mutant, blah, blah. But, like, with most of the X-Men, it's like, you guys are out there fighting for social justice and everything, but, like, you look fine. Most of you look like supermodels anyway. Again, it's that whole thing where it's like, you know, superheroes are just, like, these peak physical specimens, and it's like the X-Men are no exception. And there's hardly, like, you have characters like Beast, but even then, it's kind of like, well... Beast could always say, like, well, actually, I'm an alien, so, you know, I'm fine. <laughs> I mean, you you wouldn't do that. I get why they don't do that. Like I said, you know, they want to be proud of being mutants and everything. But it's like, so many of you guys look like super attractive, regular people that it's just like, I don't know. I feel like it's hard to take you seriously. If most of the X-Men were like Beast or Nightcrawler or, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the more, like, mutated ones. See, there's hardly any, there's hardly any, like, you know, for talking all that yang about standing up for social justice, like, why don't you have more representation on your team of the more, like, actual mutated-looking mutants fighting on your team instead of putting all the pretty people up front and center? It's like, huh? What's up with that, Professor X? But I think that would be something you could kind of point out and make fun of in a Gen 13 movie. Because, I mean, like, why... Ha like, uh, honestly, I kind of wonder why that hasn't come up. And if it has come up in X-Men comics, like, well, no one talked about it that I can think of. I think that that's something that could be pointed out or, or used as kind of a a subplot or a theme throughout the, the series or the, the one movie, however many you're going to do. You could always go campy with it. I mean, especially if you're only doing... If you're, if you're only going to take a risk of doing one movie you could always kind of go the Deadpool route and just kind of go all in and just like not like stupid idiot comedy kind of goofy but just like go Tim Burton Batman Returns like that level where it's like it's got its own feel to it but then there's still that kind of like superhero campiness find find a director with a recognizable style that kind of stands out and go with that and then have your script kind of play with that but also like you know, go for campiness. Comic-wise, I think it could also make a comeback. I mean, like, there's... Marvel and DC have proven that, like, almost any rebooting or relaunching is just, like... It's basically become the norm now. So it's like, you know what? Why not? I don't know who currently has the rights to Gen 13. I want to say DC. But, but whoever has it, like, you could easily do a relaunch. And I think comic-wise one way to do it is kind of make them a living out of their car traveling superhero team that tries their best and encounters like the top tier heroes along the way and amongst their peers they're kind of seen as like this this like junk like like they're kind of like a garage band of superheroes they're just traveling around you know trying to <laughs> trying to do good but they're and it's not that they totally suck at it it's just like you know they just don't have a rogues gallery in the way that like Superman or Batman or Spider-Man and those kind of guys do. So, cause like they're just starting out and I think it would be an interesting look into how that goes down. 
Because back in the day, it's just like, you know, you have your your mutation or your science accident or whatever, or you, you crash from outer space, and either you make it yourself or someone gives you the idea for a costume, and then bam, you're just a superhero. Like, you almost instantly kind of know what to do. And that's how most old comics started. But I think this would be an interesting look at how... Because uh, I, I know Marvel has, like, a lot of younger versions of this. Like, you know, there's the Miles Morales Spider-Man. There's the Camilla Khan, Miss Marvel. There's the new Nova, who's a kid. Uh, the Amadeus Cho Hulk. So, but the the thing with those characters are they all have some kind of older mentor that kind of guide them through the process. I think if you relaunched in 13, they shouldn't have that. You can still have the character John Lynch be in there, but I think he should be more of like a wrangler. What's the word? A handler. Like, uh, I, I think wherever he, like, he shouldn't be with the team. I think he should just be kind of like guiding the team where he's like, he's the one keeping an eye on them, but they should pretty much have, they should pretty much be like free range doing whatever they want with Fairchild kind of falling into the leadership role. And it should be about them exploring like how to be, how to become superheroes, how to like, how to make a name for themselves and just developing a rogues gallery. Cause like so many comics now, it's like they've been established for so long. It's just like if a new character shows up, they're showing up in kind of a, a pre-established world where it's like there's plenty of mentors to to fall under or there's plenty of people to kind of guide them through it. And they usually end up taking on, you know, villains from someone else's rogue gallery while they take on new villains. But they're but they're superheroes who've are, who've been in the fight for so long. It's like a new villain isn't that big a deal. So I think with these kids, you kind of start you really start fresh where it's like, well, there's really no one there to mentor them because, you know, the top guys aren't really taking them that seriously. Uh, they're dealing with a lot of low-level villains who could potentially become bigger threats later. And I think that'd be an interesting thing where it's like, you know, uh, maybe like three issues in, there's a guy who's like, who could potentially be tough, but he's kind of starting out, so he's not that good. But then like, he'll come back and each time he's like a little bit better or he gets more serious and like starts becoming a real threat and there's like this constant protagonist that that pops up that becomes like their arch enemy and other guys like that and i think that would be cool to kind of like basically be have like ground level like not ground level superheroes but like uh start from the ground up and really get to see them grow as a team and and learn to fight crime as opposed to just kind of already knowing and especially if you give them that millennial angle where it's like they kind of they really have to learn how to be superheroes because they're kind of self-centered and like i said they're young attractive kids with superpowers like why would they care well that's kind of like the driving force of the story like leading them to care and kind of become i guess more humane where it's like well you know we have these powers we should be responsible like that can be kind of the the thing that changes through the course of the the series. It can be I feel like it can be fun, it can be serious. Uh with them traveling around, it it offers for them to kind of, you know, different locations, different situations cuz you you got Fairchild and Grunge who are like quite I don't know if they're quite geniuses, but like the smartest, but she's insecure and he's lazy. Uh you've got Burnout who wants to impress Lynch cuz it turns out uh canon-wise that uh, Lynch and Burnout are father and son. Um, so you can keep that as a plot. You can keep that as a plot point, too. And that could also be the reason why Lynch even bothers to kind of keep an eye on them. But, you know, you have that whole he's trying to impress a father figure and it turns out the one he's trying to impress is his actual father, which he may eventually find out. And he doesn't know how or can't seem to take charge and Lynch seems to, like everyone else, seems to kind of lean on Fairchild as the team's uh, field leader slash second in command. Uh, Roxy is rebelling against anything she can for attention. And I think that's, I mean, these are these are like, gen, you know, general character trait ideas or, or things you could kind of throw in there. Because that's kind of what her character sounds like, you know, with her insecurities about her looks compared to uh, Fairchild. It seems like, well, the kind of the obvious thing she would do is kind of just like rebel against whatever she can find, like 
object and be kind of like standoffish and attempt to kind of get attention and kind of, you know, she's like the one that kind of storms off. Like, I guess she would be like the, <laughs> the, the Wolverine of the group, I guess, as far as like her trying to be a loner. I think that would kind of help sell the relationship between her and grunge where, you know, he's just kind of like, I'll, I'll hook up with whoever, whoever's attractive and wants to hook up with me. And I think he eventually should kind of notice what's going on with uh, Roxy. And that kind of helps, you know, spur on their relationship as opposed to them just kind of like looking like they belong together. And I don't really have a too much of an issue with the, the, the original designs of the characters, but, and, and I'll get to, I'll get to artists and stuff like that in a second. Whoever got chosen for this relaunch, I, I would kind of leave it up to them if they wanted to kind of tweak the designs a little bit or, or something. Um, and then there's uh, Rainmaker, who is kind of quiet, reserved, but, and she always seems kind of like she's the cool, you know, like the calm head, the collected one. But really inside, she's kind of like holding in a bunch of conflict about her sexuality and her connection to the main villain Threshold, who in original canon turns out to be her half-brother. So, like I said, there's there's plenty of story stuff to, to kind of to build a series off. And really, depending on how you play it, it could be a long-running series. Like, you could keep it going. Um, you definitely want to get the more creative writers on board, the people who are kind of looking to think outside the box. Because that's what this, I think, for a relaunch, especially in comics, like, that's kind of what you need. You need someone who's, like, looking to do something kind of new or take a, a a different angle on things. And I think there's plenty of writers out there, but either they rarely get a chance or they're they're doing their own indie thing, which is great. That's fine. Get the guy who's got like, oh man, I've got so many crazy ideas for villains and stuff. Because you want that grab back. Like this is, like I said, this is a, well, I mean, it is an origin because you're relaunching a thing, but you know, this is their, this is them starting from the bottom. So, you know, they don't have a rogues gallery. They, they aren't, they haven't been in, they aren't veterans at being superheroes. So like you can throw them curveballs constantly and like I said, they're like the garage band of superheroes. So it's like, yeah, like go nuts with it. Be inventive. Like they could have them go, have them come up against a, a world ending supervillain and just kind of like bumble their way into defeating him. Like you can have it be funny. You can have it be serious. It could be a lot of things and you can get different writers to come on board and kind of put their own twist in it and kind of build a cuz cuz there's no status quo yet so you kind of, you're kind of building that as you go or it could be that kind of comic where the 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 status quo is just constantly shifting and that's part of the course like they kind of don't get a chance to ever really settle into a a set atmosphere it's just like constantly shifting and i think that would be more fun than you know letting the series get too comfortable and then it gets boring and then uh if and also if you want to you could use stick with gen 13 but then in their comic have them team up with other you know erased characters from the wild storm universe or bring them back if you want i don't know this episode is about gen 13 so i'm sticking with them and i might I, I'm, I'm probably gonna, i'm gonna do at least one more if not two more episodes on characters from image comics so because i you know i want to spread it out i've, I've kind of been milking dc and marvel from the start um so i'm going to start doing other publishers too because that's that's where the majority of these obscure characters are from anyway um uh, so i i wouldn't mind a revival uh of the series as a comic i think one of the best things they could do is get J. Scott Campbell to come back uh, to to do the artwork. And I say that because for those who even remember this, I think that would kind of get them on board. Number one, he's he's a great artist. I like his work. But, you know, as, as a selling point, I think if you got him on board, it would kind of be like, okay, someone who worked on the original is, is on board for this. So that might get um, pre-existing fans to come back but as far as new as far as new blood goes i think the the art style of ben caldwell would lend itself to the the kind of i guess the kind of mood uh, or atmosphere of the comic that i think would help it um he did work if he's done other stuff than this but the the work i know him from 
is uh, his work on the series A Force for Marvel. Um, it was about that a group of all female Avengers, basically. Unfortunately, that that series has already come to an end, which really sucks because I really liked it. I think it was a good concept. I liked the 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 characters they put in it. Uh, she Hulk at the lead, uh, constantly in conflict with Medusa. I mean, like it was. It was very well put together. I like the writing for it. I like the artwork. Caldwell did issues five through seven, and those are actually those are pretty much my favorite ones. I I have I have volume zero, which is from the uh the the Secret War event thing, when just before the Marvel Universe got re put back together. Um, but then I also have volume one of A Force, which takes place in a new continuity. But then for all the other issues of the series, I bought the single issues. So I have issues uh, five through seven, and those are my favorites to just like flip through and look at the artwork. Uh, another artist I think would fit very well is Babs Tar. I know her from the, the Batgirl series for DC. Pretty sure she's done other stuff uh, for DC, like tons of stuff. Um, she's really good. I love her artwork, and I think her style would also fit into uh, the, the, the new look that I think would really help sell a relaunch of Gen 13. For TV, I would, like I said, I would either give it to CW or stick it on Hulu or Netflix and let them kind of make a little mini series out of it. And for movies, no longer than a trilogy. Um, unless, you know, that last, that third movie leaves everyone begging for more, then I'd say, hey, go for it. Um, but definitely give it a break in between and kind of consider like relaunching it slightly differently or uh, expanding it to include some of the other Wildstorm characters. That's the Buddha Reboot section. That went on for quite a while, but I think going forward, like these are probably going to get longer because I, I, I feel like I'm finding more characters where I have a lot more to say about them. And so episodes are probably going to be longer uh i know the last one was an hour and the one before that was a special so that one was going to be as long as it was going to be so i'm pretty much jumping up from like half an hour to like 40 some odd minutes to like an hour show um but that's good like the, the more there is to say the better uh so let's get to the editor section and wrap things up Okay, so I skipped this last episode just because it, it ran too long, and I, I didn't want to go, like, an hour and a half again like I did in the special episode. So, I guess as far as editor section goes, like, there's just a few things I kind of caught my attention this week. Um, there's a new television promo for the Transformers movie, Bumble the Bumblebee movie from the Transformers series of movies, and this one doesn't have Michael Bay involved, so I was interested in it, but then I saw the first trailer which looked good and then this new promo shows Soundwave and Optimus and they really embrace the 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 Gen 1 designs of the Transformers and Soundwave looks like Soundwave and I think uh Ravager pops out of his chest so I'm I'm actually a lot more excited about this movie like I was going to see it now I want to see it you know like I I'm I'm kind of actually excited about it I feel like, that notion of feeling tricked has kind of went away, where it's just like, man, I feel like they're baiting me. You know, that first trailer, it's like, oh, this is bait. They're just, you know, they're showing me this, but then I go see the movie, and it's just like a complete catastrophe of a mess, and it's just like, ugh. But now I'm just like, oh, they're, they're, kind, of, they're kind of soothing me now. They're kind of, they're coaxing me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to see it. Like, I, it's just, I'm too curious. I, I'm too excited. They... They're, they're working their magic. I want to see it. So I, 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 I will see it. I still don't know what to think about this Joker movie that DC's doing with Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, they recently released like this little clip, like this live action footage of him in the, in the, the, the makeup. And the thing is, though, they don't say whether this is like the final look of when he finally makes that transformation to the Joker or not or anything. It's just him in clown makeup. Now, I'll grant you, it looks creepy, but just based on that, I still don't know what to make of this movie. Like, uh, th I, there's just not enough information out on it. I will say it sounds interesting, but it's, it's kind of that thing where it's like, well, it's a Joker origin story, which is fine, 
because you know it's like hey there's the, his backstory is so vague that you know, there's probably hundreds of interpretations of what people think his backstory actually could be and and it's just a movie so there's that's not saying that this is going to be the definitive you know story going forward in comics or anything like that um so i'm not i'm not against that idea but based on what they're going for i i almost feel like well it's not going to involve batman which i i guess is fine the joker is a character in his own right i'm I'm intrigued enough to kind of keep my eye on this thing to see, you know, to watch it and see what comes out, you know, as far as information on it. But I can't really say whether I'm interested in seeing it until like, I get some kind of trailer or something that kind of shows what they're they're really going for. I mean, it's got Zazie Beats, it's got Joaquin Phoenix, um, somebody else got it, like a couple other people got announced for it that are pretty good. So it's not like they have a bad cast. So, yeah, we'll see. Oh, the the Marvel Netflix show. So, I've kind of been losing interest in those. Iron Fist Season 2 came out, and so far people are saying that it's better than Season 1. But that's not saying a whole lot, considering how bad Season 1 was. And then the follow-up Defenders wasn't that much better. I'm still on board for Daredevil, but that's mainly because of Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin character. Like... That's really what I'm going back for. And then also season three is uh, supposedly going to have Bullseye in it, finally. So I want to see how they do that. So I'll probably go back to it for uh, the next Daredevil season, and which is coming out in October. I can't remember what day. Uh, I want to say closer to Halloween, but it's coming out next month. So, And then I, I really want to see what they do with season two of uh, The Punisher. I like season one. I thought it got the right kind of like just visceral intensity, but it almost seemed like season one was like a self-contained one-shot story. So I'm kind of curious to see what their follow-up story is going to be for that. Um, otherwise, I'm, I'm kind of not really that interested anymore. Season two of of Luke Cage was decent, but just like season just like the second season of Jessica Jones it feels like Netflix is kind of trying to take these characters in some weird direction I'll I'll go back for Daredevil and Punisher but I kind of don't really care about the rest of it anymore so it turns out that the next Bond movie did get a new director uh they're getting the guy who directed season one of True Detective which if you haven't seen you probably should uh I'm not going to overhype it. Like, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good television. Oh, uh, fair warning. There's a season... There is a season two of True Detective, but don't watch that. That was a, a different... A new cast, a new crew, and it just... Ugh, man, talk about falling face forward. Um, so, yeah, skip that one. But season one, if you're curious enough, is... Is pro- I would say is worth a watch. That's the show for this week. Uh, you can email me at comicobscurapod at gmail.com or find the show on Facebook. Um, I got to thank John Bartman for the saucy theme song. <laughs> um, now I got to go figure out next week's show, which, like I said, is going to be another image character. But there's more to choose from than I thought. So feel free to speculate. I'm out. Let's go already!